Well, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, these times in which we live today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? The music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding. We are building up a new world. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Hardy family for letting us use the song for this podcast. This is Sarah Jordan recording from the Cumberland watershed in the land of the Eastern Cherokee, currently known as Nashville, Tennessee. And this is my first full podcast with the word is resistance. So here's a little bit more about me so you can know who you're listening to. I'm a Gulf Coast native, Southerner for life, white, cis, queer, mentally ill artist and Presbyterian pastor. I'm engaged to a wonderful and brilliant human, RJ, who is a trans non-binary Puerto Rican from Chicago. We met in seminary in the South, which is a cute story for another time. You can find me hosting people in my house, writing liturgy that asks questions and expands our understanding, being a member of the safety and care team for local protests, snuggling on my couch, making collages, And currently, you can find me working at a substance abuse recovery center for women. This podcast is designed to resource white folks in the work to resist and dismantle white supremacy. Reading the Bible, this communal, complicated, complex, and sacred text is like holding up a mirror to our communities. What do we see when we hold it up and look into it honestly? In this podcast, we hope to identify ways that the sacred text might offer strength, challenge, and hope to folks stuck in complicity and benefiting from oppressive systems. We hope that we can continue to resist narratives and actions of white supremacy. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. So this episode is supposed to get us ready for Pentecost. And Pentecost is this mysterious and mystical story of wind and fire and tongues. It's a story of joy and confusion, a story of belonging, a story of speaking and being truly heard and understood, of listening and connecting. At Pentecost, each person speaks in their own particular language, and others hear their words in their own particular language. It is a story that points away from assimilation, from speaking the one language of the empire and points towards the power of our differences and community. Each person belongs exactly as they are, and together they dream and vision. Pentecost is this apocalyptic utopia moment. It is a glimpse of what community could be. And we know that this is momentary and only a glimpse because the community in Acts very quickly falls apart after this. The rest of Acts details all the internal and external conflict. And this is what I thought I was going to talk about today on this podcast. 
But the text from the lectionary this week from Genesis kept tugging at me because where Acts reveals all the conflict that we know is present in movement work, and yes, the Acts community was a movement. Genesis 11, 1 through 9, the Tower of Babel story, silences all conflict and claims unity. But who gets to claim unity? And who gets silenced? Let's listen to the text. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Here ends the reading. So traditionally, this short story gets interpreted as a cute but somewhat troubling explanation for how it came to be that people with one ancestor speak different languages and live in different places across the earth. It immediately follows the genealogical account of this same phenomenon. It is an origin story for different ethnicities and diverse cultures. The tricky part of this interpretation is that diversity is a punishment from God for humanity's ability to work together effectively, which just seems like a strange thing to punish. As I was researching this story, I learned that in apartheid South Africa, white South Africans used this story to justify apartheid and segregation. The fact that God scattered the people and gave them different languages meant that God approved of and created segregation. This racist reading of a foundational religious story was another layer to the white South, Af South Africans' narr narrative of supremacy over black South Africans. And this narrative justified exploitation, abuse, injustice of so many kinds. Desmond Tutu reclaimed the story and reinterpreted it for liberation in his speech, God's Dream. Tutu identifies humanity's sin as greed and independence. This resonates with the Tower of Babel and why people might be punished. But was it every person's greed or just a few people's greed? Was there no conflict, fear, or war before Babel? 
The history of the story reminds me that any of our stories can be used to oppress or to liberate. It reminds me of the way the Bible has been used in the United States to support racist policies, including slavery and segregation, how it has been used to promote homophobia and anti-blackness. The stories we tell are essential to the worlds we create. However, whether this interpretation is used to comment positively or negatively on diversity, it seems to be two sides of the same coin. The story does not question the story as it is told. It believes the narrator as an unbiased storyteller. The collective we continues throughout the story, giving the impression that everyone did all the work. Who is the we in this text? Is it really every person in society from the enslaved laborer to the landowner, from the youngest to the oldest? Who is making the decisions for this one people, and how are they making them? Is there a process of consensus, a representative democracy? Because when I hear the phrase one people, one language, I don't think of some communitarian utopia. I think of the empire, hierarchical power, centralized wealth. God creates diversity and variation in all that they make. Empires declare and enforce that they are one people with one language. Empires silence opposition and difference. They spin propaganda to, propaganda to protect the narrative of unity, sameness, and triumph. Empires say, let us build, when really they mean, let us make the people build this for us. I'm left with the question, where are the voices of the brickmakers and the bricklayers in the text? Where is the union? Because any construction project, especially one of this magnitude, requires workers. Did the workers desire this giant tower to make a name for themselves? Or did they take the job so that they could feed their families? Or maybe they were enslaved laborers who had no choice. How many workers died or got injured in the process? How many people were abused emotionally, physically, and sexually at the job site? Did the regular taxpayers choose this building project, or did the government pass over funding public education or health care to line a developer's pocket and bring in more tourists instead? Here's a fun fact that I found in my research. Many scholars, some scholars, tie this text to the Sumerian worker revolt that contributed to the end of the Sumerian Empire. So I'm not the first, and I won't be the last, to see the empire in this story and to see the workers in this story and to ask questions about where their voices are, what was really going on. Unfortunately, this is an all-too-familiar story in Nashville right now, and I'm sure it is a familiar story where you are as well. I cannot walk out of my door without seeing a crane or drive in any neighborhood without seeing a construction site. This construction pushes longtime residents, especially poor black and brown communities, out of the city. 
by making the city unaffordable to most people. And this is just one consequence of rapid growth and a profit over people mentality. This construction in the story in the Tower of Babel and in Nashville right now relies on the exploitation of cheap labor. In my work with and support for workers' dignity, Dignidad Obrera, a multiracial low-wage worker center in Nashville, and the community who taught me what resistance means, I hear story after story of wage theft, abuses at the job site, threats of deportation, and construction worker deaths. These stories are way too common and often unheard or ignored by those who make decisions at a local level. But after interpreting the context of the story as one of empire, I do find some hope in God's response at the Tower of Babel. God sees the abusive power of an empire and says, this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. I imagine God continues saying, let us destroy the symbol of empire and site of exploitation and injustice. Let us bust up the centralized power of the collective we and put people in communities where they can speak their own languages and organize. God is not a reformist here. God does not offer suggestions for treating workers better or new policies. God tears down the whole tower, the symbol of empire, and confuses humanity's ways of being in the empire. Here in our time, workers are organizing for their wages and safer working conditions, launching campaigns, fighting day in and day out for a better life and a better world. And if you haven't already joined the fight, now is the time. So here are some actions for you this week. The first action is around how we tell and hear stories. Which narratives do we accept as true without question? When you hear someone, particularly someone with power, speaking for a group or a city or a neighborhood, claiming complete agreement with no mention of conflict, you are not getting the full story. Your task this week is to listen for the stories and voices that are absent. Second, learn about the labor struggles going on in your city, town, or state. There are so many labor fights happening right now. Construction workers, hospitality workers, public school teachers, sex workers, farm workers, and so many more. I've included some links of where to start in the transcript notes. And third, support a grassroots labor organization led by black and brown workers. Give your money volunteering your time to phone bank, work on a case, bring food, show up to actions, spread the word. 
Well, I think that's enough actions for the week. So may you question the narratives of empire, resist the exploitation of workers, and dismantle the towers of white supremacy. And may you find hope in this. God desires to dismantle and destroy all that is unjust and exploitative and invites us to join her in that work. Remember, God is on the side of the worker. Thank you for joining me today. As always, the transcript this week will include a bunch of resources at the end to support your action. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there. If you have any questions or need help with action ideas, transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Until next time.